Hey guys, welcome back to Dead Set Podcasting. Today is going to be a good one. I'm joined by Joel Sharpton from joelsharpton.com and propodcastingservices.com. Joel's the complete package, guys. He's a former professional radio host. He's a podcaster. He's a hobby podcaster. He's a professional podcaster. He's a very well-established and very much respected podcast editor and podcast manager. So he's really done it all. And today is one of the most wide-ranging and enjoyable conversations I've ever had on the topic. So I won't hold you up anymore here at the start, but we do mention in the first part of this interview that we're going to talk about the end of one of Joel's shows, Always Listening, which is where I discovered Joel. And as it turned out, we didn't actually cover that for the better part of an hour. So I've actually cut that bit of audio out. It'll still be in this one, but you don't have to wait. So if you want to hear that first, why did Always Listening finish? You can check out that little mini episode that I probably will put out before this one, just so it's there when you're hearing this. So without any further ado, one of the few people that I believe is a true podcasting expert, Joel Sharpton. Let's get in and have a chat. You're listening to Dead Set Podcasting with your host, Josh Liston. This is a show dedicated to podcasting in Australia, New Zealand and Southeast Asia. Follow along with today's episode over at deadsetpodcasting.com. Okay, here we go. The only time I've ever interacted with Bob Pittman, who I think, I'm not sure if he's still the CEO, but he was at the time when I tweeted him. He was celebrating that they were number one in podcast networks or something at the time. And I subtweeted him and I think I said, the only thing you've ever been number one in is debt consolidation. And a few people pressed like on there. It was the first time I've ever tweeted someone semi-famous and actually didn't get hate for it. <laughs> so I don't know if he's a very well-liked man. So, well, let me tell you something. If you're in charge of either uh, Cumulus or iHeartRadio, you're not a very well liked person. No matter no matter what your previous <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> stuff, it could, those are not well liked companies. Like not by their employees, not by their competitors, not by yeah. all of us little people. Effectively, <laughs> yes. I don't I don't think anybody likes those those monoliths. But I mean, that's what nobody really likes Walmart or Amazon either, right? Like. Nah. We use them, and they have value in the marketplace too. Like we don't, I don't mean to belittle either one of those. The iHeartRadio, in particular, I feel like has done a, a pretty good job of. I say a pretty good job. They've done a job of transitioning from radio to mm. what is coming, which is an all digital delivery, even for standard radio stations. You know, I, I come up from this super small five group station group independently owned by like a handful of buddies or originally when I worked there that were former radio guys themselves. Oh. And those little mom and pop shops are, first of all, largely a dying breed, of course. But in rural markets, especially, not just in the States, but this is true, I think, in Europe and, and in Australia as well, those are not going to disappear. Like those rural markets are not going to be served by the cumuluses and the clear heart and the you know, iHearts of the world. And so somebody's going to need to be there. So those mom and pop stations are eventually going to transition to digital too. So like I like that iHeart is at least building frameworks and toolkits and expertise from all these people who work for iHeart as long as they can. And then they end up working for a smaller station group somewhere down the road yeah. when they when they can't take the corporate gig anymore, you know? Yeah. yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I, good for them. They're building the ladder, I guess, for, for these other people to transition. But yeah, I, I wish that that was one of those moments, honestly, when I read that, I guess I read that story in pod news probably was the first place I saw it from James. And, and it was like, 
who can I complain to about this? Josh, I appreciate you giving me the platform to complain for a moment. <laughs> Boo on him. It's fine, because I thought you might have complained more on Twitter, but you seemed like you just disengaged out of disappointment. So, <laughs> uh, so honestly... <laughs> This vampire show started on AMC, and it's all that I can think about uh, now. Honestly, like how you, exciting! If that? you ever wanted yeah. to rob my house, like now's the time to rob me because I probably wouldn't notice. <laughs> I'm so I'm caught up in it. This is, yeah. it is fun, and this is what this experience. This is about podcasting, by the way. Yeah, yeah. this is what this experience has given me back, like a true reminder of how fun this medium is. Why I started doing it personally in the first place. I mean, I was, I was in radio, but the reason I started doing podcasting is because it's fun to talk about the things that you're interested in and deliver it straight to people who are also interested in those things and doing the, my little silly vampire show again, these last few weeks and like watching that audience kind of explode as the TV show gets big. But it's so much fun. Podcasting is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it would be a long trip. If I did end up in your house, mate, and you'd probably look at me and say, well, who's this pale Australian? There is a vampire in my house. So <laughs> I wanted to talk about interviewing because one thing I guess I mm. respect most about you is not that just that you're a great technician and you've got this history in radio and you can see those worlds of podcasting and radio probably better than most. It's that you're actually great on the mic, both as a well, thank you. Performer, but also as an interviewer, I've heard you interview people and you seem skilled across all of these different things. I wanted to talk about interviewing, not as a science, but maybe the art, because I think we all talk about, you need to ask your guests to record or you need to do this and you need to do that. And it's always technical stuff. And we, as much as we try in, I guess, the podcast education space, for the lack of a better term, we never get to the crux of what makes a good interview because we get so hung up on how you do it. The technology is about as far as we normally go. I don't know if you agree with that, but uh, no, I do agree with that. But I think there, I think part of the reason for that is that it is much more. It's much easier to teach technical skill than artistic ability, yeah. right? And you're right. Interviewing true, uh, a good, and by the way, thank you for the very kind words. I, I do love the interview style, and I try so. We the in case you don't know who I am, we should we should have done maybe a little bio or something. I the reason you discovered me in the first place, I guarantee you, is from always listening. I did a well, podcast see. review show for years, always listening podcast reviews. We had actually started originally as Pod on Pod. We did reviews for like two years or three years as Pod on Pod, and then we rebranded as Always Listening. We did reviews for about two and a half years with that, and then my co-host retired. And I say retired, like he didn't really retire, but he got out of podcasting basically altogether. He just went into to his own like corporate world. I tried for a while to do an interview version of Always Listening. My thought was to do it much less frequently, maybe like once a month. First of all, when you've done like, at that point we had like 300 episodes or something total. And when you've done that many episodes, there's much less urgency about being a weekly show because you're like, well... If people want to listen to me, they can go back and listen to me. I don't need to I don't need to put out something new every week, right? Yeah, yeah. But I did want to keep doing something and I transitioned to this interview thing and I ran into the same thing that I know you've had issues with, which is scheduling. The combination of finding interesting people that you really care to talk talk to and talk about, right? Cuz you don't just want to talk to them. I want to highlight my guests. I want to bring out what they have to offer or what I find interesting about them. I want to put that on display from my own audience and listeners. And what I'd really like to do 
is when I have somebody that I'm sort of in love with, whatever they're doing, I want a bunch of other people to fall in love with it too so that we have that in common now to chit chat about, right? Mm -hmm. For instance, the ones that I'm like super proud of, I did an interview with, I did an interview with Tyler Mahan Co., who is the creator of Cocaine and Rhinestones, a podcast about the history of country music and the lives of those who gave it to us. It's a fantastic podcast. It's probably my favorite show of all time. It's just had two seasons now. And at the time, he had just, I think he had just finished season one. I'm pretty sure when we recorded that, he had just finished season one. But, But I did a couple there in that period. And we ended up, I sort of like, mothballed it because I could never get anybody scheduled. I, my schedule was difficult. Their schedule was difficult. You put those together and it just didn't happen. And so I didn't do anything for a long time until pod Vader and I, Jay, Jay Soderberg, he was in between jobs. I think at the time he had gotten laid off, I think from a big corporate gig or something. And it was like, Hey, what are we going to do? Let's do a show. You and I do a show together. We'll get your name out there and, and whatever. And it'd be fun. That is the only way I think to do a weekly show. You got to have one other person who effectively says, okay, this is my job too. And the two of y'all can just put it in your calendar and build the rest of your life around it. That's the only way to do a weekly show. And even then, I think we should all go seasonal now. Mm. But to do an actual interview, here's here's the key. Not only do you have to know what you're doing. Like I, I spent 20 years in radio and I've interviewed everybody from – you know, political figures to celebrities to nobodies. And look, you got to come up with interesting content from all those people too, right? When you put granny on the radio and granny don't want to talk, you still got <laughs> five minutes to fill or whatever it is. So like, you just got to, you got to figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it's a lot of, it's just repetition is putting your, putting in your 10,000 hours to start with, but to make really compelling content, here's the real secret. And this is why it's so hard, Josh, you have to care about the person you're talking to and what they have to talk about, right? And that's what's hard to find. So unless you're a professional organization where you can have a team of people around you, first of all, to help you brainstorm who are those people that I that I would be interested in and compelled to talk to and about, get a list of those people and then have your team chase down all the interviews and schedule them all, right? That's how you can do it. That's why you know, TV shows and celebrity podcasts do a pretty good job of this, many of them, because they've put in the 10,000 hours, so they're good on the mic, but also the people that they're compelled to talk to and would be compelling content to hear, you've got a team of people to chase it down and make that happen. And then also probably it's easier to get someone to go on to the Today Show than, you know, Dead Set <laughs> Podcasting or, or Always Listening yes. or whatever else, right? Because the, the flow on effect of just the sheer audience there's so much more potential for them to get something back out of it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But and see, that's another thing. Can you find someone who is in it for the conversation mm. as much as the potential audience? Right. Like, and Tyler yeah. especially is a great example because he was he at that point especially. Maybe if I talk to him now, I think he might be too busy and he's had so many interviews about the show. But that was still early on. He hadn't blown up really, and and like he had had a Rolling Stones article, I think at that point, and that was about, that was about it as far as press coverage. And so he was still excited to talk about these ideas and the origination of the thing and, and everything. And so, and he didn't really care who it was to either. <laughs> I've got to, by the way, I've got to go, you, you, this discussion made me, I don't think that interview is online anywhere. I've got to go find, I did like three or four in that in-between season period. Yeah. I've got to go get that audio and put that up on 
YouTube or something so that you, it's available. You should because I heard you I heard you reference Tyler is it multiple times in always listening about how much you love that show and I couldn't find your discussion with him. Yeah, it's not. I so I don't honestly, Josh. It's so weird. Can we talk about the dissolution of always listening? We can, but can I just talk? I just want to find. Go ahead. I just want to dig into one thing you've said there, and I'll I'll, Please, me- yeah. I'll I'll memory bank that one. So you mentioned in there about being truly fascinated in the person, and mm. this is where I think I have a fundamental disagreement with a lot of other people that talk about podcasting, but particularly interviewing. Their focus is always on what has the person achieved, the thing, mm. because normally that whatever that golden achievement is, is the thing that they feel will draw audience to them. But I'm interested in all the bit in between. What was it about this person and what's fascinating about them that actually allowed them to do that thing? Emily Emily Peck has a Emily Peck has a show called The Story Behind. Have you heard it? I, I don't think yeah, she's I've in current production it. now. Yeah, I, well, I was. So that's exactly. Yeah, I mean, like that's that's what you're talking about there. It's the story yeah. behind. Like the, I'm with I'm with you. I think that's always more compelling. Yeah, but I don't think that's the big mainstream. The people who watch The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones every Sunday, yeah, they don't want the story behind. I think no, it's just a lot of like I wrote into a show recently and I've been having trouble getting guests for this new interview show that I'm doing. And I think part of the thing was is that, A, too many people were interviewing people and they're never putting it out. So these people are like, well, why would I give someone that time? Two, that the interviews probably weren't very good because they were just focused on, okay, that person's achieved this. They've got some credibility for that. Let's get them on whether I'm interested in them or not or whether I know anything about them or not. Like if you don't give a shit about the person that's on your show other than some achievement, you don't care about anything in between, I don't know who wants to listen to that. Like I know I don't. Maybe I'm being fussy. <laughs> it's like the it's like the Hollywood reporters that talk to an actor about their new movie and it's clear they haven't seen the movie. Yes. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> or Or book reviewers that talk to an author and haven't read the book. Like God bless him, uh, read to lead. I can't remember the the uh, the creator's name, but there's a very good podcast called yeah. Read to Lead, and he puts this thing out. I think it's bi monthly, but he reads every book. Like, and it's that's a lot of work. Don't get me wrong; it's the reason why most people don't do that, <laughs> right? But yes, no, you're a million percent right. If all we're going to talk about is the product, the product speaks for itself. Why do you and I need to talk about it? Exactly. In the book thing's a perfect example. I've had people ask me because I made it public how many times I'll normally read an author's book if it's available in this territory. Normally, it's twice minimum, but most often it's three times because I'll listen to the audio through twice. And I've had people say, well, clearly my shows aren't very big shows, like they're not taking over the world. Why would I put that much work into a person? And and it just was such a strange question. I get what they're asking. They're like, are you getting anything back out of – because you're not just doing the interview and the production, you're doing 30 hours of listening leading up to it. I'm like, I don't know, but that informs every minute of that 60 minutes I spend with the person because I'm fully invested in their world. Hopefully that just makes the interview better for the people that do hear it. Well, and and the other thing that I would say is hopefully you're only choosing books and and authors that you feel like you're going to get a lot out of, right? So Correct. what you're doing there is you're, you're reinforcing, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. Yeah. You're reinforcing the the experience. You're reinforcing the knowledge. You're reinforcing the 
you know, whatever the, the, the philosophical or adventure or, or whatever you're getting out of that experience, you're reinforcing it. Just like, I mean, this is what I tell my kids all the time, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, maybe you don't technically have homework, but do you have things that you did today at school that didn't just land a hundred percent with you? Well, yeah. bring a few of those things home and just look at them again. Like <laughs> maybe ask me about them. Let's discuss them. <laughs> See if we can drive it home and reinforce it. So yeah. no, you're, I, yeah. and that's why, listen, that's why I don't want to do a book review show, right? It's why I don't, I've never interviewed authors for the, for Anne Rice, for the, um, for the Anne Rice show, for the show about interview with a vampire that I'm doing right now, that show, the episodes drop on AMC plus Sunday mornings at like 3am. So I wake up on Sunday mornings. I generally, I try to watch with my wife first because she's also watching the show and she gets mad at me if I watch without <laughs> her. But she and I watch the show together and then I immediately, unless something else is going on, go and watch it again on my iPad with my headphones on, captions on the whole nine yards. And like sometimes I've made a note or two that first time, but the second time is when, what are the themes of this? You already know the broad strokes, right? So you can look for details and what is it that I want to draw out and discuss? What is it that I feel like was a misstep? What is it that like played funny the first time? But now that I think about it in context or I've seen it again, worked great. All of those things are true for, for books, for, for, for movies, for TV shows, whatever. So again, yes. Is it harder to do it that way? Yeah. But like, mm. did you go and spend $250 on a microphone? Did you go and spend $500 on a Rodecaster Pro? Well, spend a little time on the podcast that you're making too. Maybe make less of them, I guess. But yes. <laughs> it's funny you brought up seasons and that's exactly what I'm doing with this new show because I realized that a lot of the people that I'm reaching out to, their filters are much more refined maybe than what they were pre-2020 or pre-2019, like to get through their filter of, is this legit? Is it actually going to come out? How many interviews have you done? I think at that when I was sending the initial emails, I went back through every podcast I've done in the last 11 years. I think I've done 600 interviews of different kinds on different shows. So I feel like I have that ability at least to get something out of people and not be a complete, you know, crap show <laughs> to make them. But even those people, I've what used to take three or four communications to get them across the line. Some people have taken 10, a dozen, just feel, so they feel confident that it's not going to be a complete waste of their effort. I Let me, let me say it's, I don't want to speak for anybody else. Maybe that's it. Here's what happened with me. I have absolutely from March, 2020 to now, I would say drastically changed the way that I think, Think about interacting with the rest of humanity. <laughs> As my mother would say, my give a damn has busted almost completely. <laughs> I, I don't somewhere in there, maybe, maybe it was the fact my geographic region in particular never did masking very well. We, we, we definitely don't currently do any masking, but even in the thick of it, the, my, my neighbors, so to speak, were not generally masked in public, which really fundamentally altered the way that I feel like interacting as far as like a community member, honestly. Mm. But that I think affected more broadly though, just in life. I don't do things that I don't like to do anymore. Now, part of that's being an independent worker as long as I have been, right? You can't do that if you work a corporate job. Mm. You can't do that if your wife works for, or your partner works for, you know, the school board or, or 
whatever the government, your life's a little bit more structured probably than mine is. And you have to jump through a few more hoops maybe than I do. But I just don't, I don't do anything that I don't want to do. And so even your request, which was absolutely something that I did want to do, it, it never, at least in the first couple of connections, rose to like, I never put it in priority, yeah. right? So I wouldn't go and do it. And then even when I did it, it was like down on my thinking list and we were doing a Disney tour. There was all sorts of things. So I just missed one recording altogether. Uh, and then we had an illness and my grandfather died this fall. There's all sorts of crazy, but I think that's going on for everyone else too. Life piles up, you know, there's work and there's family life and then there's the unexpected and all those things are going on. And I think more so than in years past, everybody has sort of said, eh, I'm going to, I'm going to put up some personal boundaries mm. and, and do a little bit more of what I want to do and a little bit less of what I think everybody else wants me to do, you know? Exactly. And there's someone I really look up to. His name's Derek Sivers. He founded a company called CD Baby and has written some books and he's got one of the best email lists. He's got the only email list really that I actually open every email. And he he has this saying, Joel, it's hell yeah or no. And he's always been that way, but I think a lot of other people is. And the disappointment I was feeling about not getting the yeses as easily was because people, and probably rightly so, as you've just laid out so eloquently, have a hell yeah or no filter now. It's up to me as the person booking the guest to prove I care about you, I care about your work, I've done my research. The technology is not even an issue that I've got 10 years of experience with. So if you've had crappy interviews in the past, this isn't going to be that. So it really falls back on the creator to weather those rejections a little bit more because you are looking for people that, and honestly, you want people that think hell yeah on your show. Yes. Yes. A hundred. That's the big thing. And so how, I guess, here's what could be actionable for a minute. Let's talk for a second about how do we, how do we make that transition? Now you and I did it through, honestly, through sheer like exposure, time length of exposure. You've interacted with my content and my, my nonsense, which made me go and interact with your content and nonsense a little bit, you know? And then over time, as we discussed earlier, you realize you agree on a bunch of things. You're like, oh, well, okay. And so when you call me up and say, hey, I'd like to do this thing with you sometime, the number one reason though why I wanted to get on, why I wanted to make it a priority with you, I just hadn't until this this last try or reminder from you. I have missed having a public voice in audio. I have missed having a discussion of what I think about some of these podcasting questions. I do respect you and what you do in the industry. So how do we how do we cross that gap? You know, other than repeated polite interactions, which is one way you've done it. I've seen you do it personally, but also mm. I know that's how you you say you're doing it with other people. I just hey, I'll reach out, you know, nine, ten times sometimes, and it's always just a reminder. Yeah. Hey, just a reminder, I'd love to get on your calendar about that thing. But are there things like, okay, is this a place where audiograms could help us? If you were making regular audiograms of your content and serving those, is that something that's compelling for guests when you tweet out you know, a guest's pithy remark on your show? I don't know. I think what you're highlighting is if you can build a familiarity with people that mm. you don't just know them, but you're already and I hate to, I don't want to use the word propagating, but this is the only one that comes to mind currently. If you're building a story around their ideas before you've even interacted with the person, I can't think of a bigger sign of respect. Yeah. And an well, audiogram is like, an example that sits with our medium well 
is that type of thing. Yeah. So you and it could even be that you link. You can say, "Hey, here's a piece of a discussion I had with X that made me really think. I would love to get your opinion on why. Could we maybe have a? Uh, could you get on my calendar sometime? Is there a good opportunity in the next couple of weeks that we could talk some yeah. some way like that? The same thing. I f- I feel like maybe it could be in the angle of your pitch. So actually have an angle, right? A lot of times I think people just say, "Hey, I'd love to have you on my show." to talk about podcasting or I do this show about Star Trek. You want to come on and talk about Star Trek instead. What if we say, what if you contact and you say, Hey, Joel, I read in your bio that you've been an Anne Rice fan since you were, you know, 12. I know that you're doing this Anne Rice podcast right now. Why don't you come on the show and let's talk about a fandom podcasting and connecting your own fandom and your own hobbies to the podcast industry and you know, what are the upsides of that? What are the downsides of that, et cetera, you know, whatever. Anyway, if you give it an angle, if you give it parameters, sometimes I feel like it's more compelling than the blank page of, Hey, do you want to come on my interview show? Mm. Because that specifies Josh, what you said earlier, which is, Hey, this isn't going to be like every other interview. We're not going to talk about your achievements. You're not going to have to list off your bio. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, we're going to talk about the things that you like to talk about. Exactly. And and yeah. you too, which everybody likes to talk about, yeah. right? <laughs> I think that's great. We probably had a familiarity that grew because I was already interacting for a long time with Jay Soderberg. So I had him on yeah. and I told Jay, I don't know if it ever made the audio, but I just, while I was building my studio that I had at the time, I just listened to every single episode you guys had recorded from the previous January onwards twice through. And whether he was coming on thinking he was going to like me, respect me otherwise, he just instantly, that just kind of leveled the playing field of, oh, this guy's invested hundreds of hours in listening to us two talk. I probably, yeah, I need to bring my best effort to this. (laughs) I don't know any other, I don't know any other medium, any other art form where the connection is so intimate and yet so uh, mono, uh, it's only one way, yes, right? Correct. I mean, yeah. generally, you as a listener, I, w- so I mentioned before we got on two of my favorite podcasts, or, well, one I listen to every week still, one I've sort of faded out of listening to, both come from Australia. I love the Plum in the Death Star podcast and the one that I've listened to every week religiously, I think since they started the Weekly Planet podcast, both recorded by Australians in in Australia. And like the things that I know about the two hosts for the Weekly Planet are the kinds of things that only a best friend or a or a mm-hmm. marriage partner would know. And yet those two boys may know my name because we have interacted quite a few times like online and through emails and and they even I did I got them to do a guest spot on our podcast a couple of times for like a holiday special. But yeah. Whether or not they remember who I am at all is like questionable. And yet I know there's, well, one of them is married. One of them is not, but I know the spouse's name. I know they're like, they're a lot about their kids and all sorts of things. It's crazy. It's so powerful though. And that's, that's one of the things I tell like clients in the business space that are thinking about getting into podcasting or like somebody has told them, well, you know, my business coach told me I got to go to podcast and I don't know what I'm going to talk about or who's going to freaking listen, man. And I'm like, you've got people that are desperate to listen to you that don't even know you yet. Mm. 
And the relationship that you're going to build with those people, whether it's a, you know, 50 or 500 or 5,000 or 5 million, it is so powerful. I think about the, the boost to my business that have come from the connections I've made through my own podcasts, just friendly connections in the industry like you. So like even if I never did another podcast episode about podcasting or the industry, again, connections with you and Evo Terra keep me completely plugged into that. And not just the two of you, but you two, two good examples who are doing good content on a regular basis still in this space that I generally don't think are schmucks too. Right. Like that's, (laughs) well, I appreciate that. As we said earlier, you got (laughs) to, there's a lot of schmucks in this industry too. I'm not going to name any names, but you, you know, you know, a lot of them anyway. This is such a powerful medium, and and I'm <laughs> I'm incredibly blessed and thankful to be a part of it, and uh, I I want other people to find it and and for it to continue to continue to grow and develop. I do I worry that video will just eat us. I I really do. Like I'm That's I see it more and more I, in my own business. I, I don't. Do you really not? I'm I'm. Oh, I, I, I see look a at, certain type of content being heavily video oriented. So the two things that really concern me currently are the push for AR VR everywhere, which is I mean that's coming so much faster than we realize it. When Apple gets into the space, every Android company will copy them with a cheaper version. And I think this time between Facebook spending so much money on it or Meta, Apple and and Google soon, the Samsung, et cetera, I, I think this is I think it's actually going to happen. The next 10 years will be a huge transition, I think, into the AR space. When we've all got glasses or a, or a visor on or something basically all day long, the places where audio wins for that, as we mentioned earlier, that Walking Dead audience, the the Game of Thrones audience, the mainstream, mm. I think go even, even fewer. I think fall down even fewer. Look at the way that video has eaten Instagram and Facebook. And I know that's being driven partially from the creator, from the, you know, the company's side, not the user's side. But the reason it's being driven from the company side is because the users have spoken by moving to TikTok. TikTok use has destroyed Instagram and Facebook use. And so Facebook and Instagram have said, we'll just be like TikTok then. YouTube's done the same thing with shorts, right? I see all of my clients who who tell me to focus on their YouTube channels at all. They all want to go into shorts now because the shorts are getting insane amounts of views and interactions mm. versus your standard video. Why? Because YouTube is pushing the hell out of them. So yes. that AR space, but also look at what they're doing in cars. As we move to more and more EVs, as we move to more and more automated uh, vehicles, you know, non, non-driver vehicles, the dashboards are going to become video screens and they're not going to be turned off even when folks are driving. So that mm-hmm. 26-minute commute on average, that people have in America is going to become YouTube time. Yeah. And it's not going to be audiobook and podcasting time, I don't think. I, I honestly, I see a scenario in 10, 15 years where if, if you're not video first, you might as well not exist. I don't want that world to be true. Audio is my superpower. I think there is nothing more intimate and nothing more powerful than closing your ears and listening to a, a good audiobook or an audio drama in podcast form 
Um, you know, closing, I said closing your ears, closing your eyes. I like closing your ears. <laughs> and yeah, that too. That's, a, that's an you expression that it. Australian people actually say. When, Do you really? Yeah, that's when, so people, aren't, when is, people aren't listening to you. Oh, you're closing your ears. That's good. Oh, just, oh, you closed your ears, mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that wasn't funny. a bad accent. A lot better than Dave Jackson's. I, listen. <laughs> I have taken in a lot. I, I, you got to limit your application, right? I probably won't throw you a shrimp on the barbie or anything, <laughs> but I, I have listened to enough Australian accent that I'm not terrible. I do, yeah, I do know I good. can get away with it <laughs> for like a 15 second a radio commercial. I can totally pull off an oh, Austra- a believable nice. Austra- Australian accent here, especially. Anyway, uh, yeah, I'm worried about video. You know, I look at car dashboards, I look at the AR thing, and I go, I will, and I also look at what my clients are asking for more and more and more. It's, well, can you at least manage the YouTube channel too, in addition to editing and, mm. and posting the show? Yeah, I can. I'm not, I feel like I'm not quite as good at it. I'm not nearly as fast at it. No, I, I agree with you. But to me, it's like worrying about the inevitable because in my opinion, video has already won. It never hasn't been bigger. It, like as soon as the two technologies were contemporaneous, five to six years ago particularly, and like people were calling shows that weren't technically podcasts, I guess some people would say podcasts in general conversation, and they're referring to things like YouTube. I think that they'd already won, but this is a why I view podcasting as punk rock, and that's how I see it. And let me pose a situation to you. I lean to the left. I mean, I'm not. I guess you wouldn't say I'm super, super left, but I am to the left politically. Not a Marxist. No. (laughs) But to understand fully people that are conservative in my life that I care about, because I want to know why they feel, how they came to believe the things they believe versus how I feel about the same things. I do listen to shows that maybe lean a little bit more to the right sometimes. If I don't find the person completely repulsive, if they're intelligent and they have a way of forming an argument that make sense logically and maybe they're right sometimes they're right and my feeling might be driven by emotion not logic i find those things out if i did that on youtube they would know every single thing that i was consuming whether the intention of it is for me to keep that private the intention for me when i listen to those shows is not to feed the algorithm that i like blah 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 and that i think i agree with them politically it's for me to in my own way discover things about the world that I'd like to keep private. And I can't see a way that other than audio that you can have that safety. Like you download it, it plays back within an environment, hopefully that's not sharing that information back with any particular data company. And maybe I'm just being idealistic. But for me, it's the the last bastion of secret discovery other than reading a physical book. You, boy, you make a good point that I hadn't considered. And, you know, in the... um in the States, there are a bunch of laws that limit the public information that can come out about a couple of things. In particular, it's, it's all but impossible to find records on what people have borrowed from a public library, mm-hmm. right? For that very reason. It's all but impossible, illegal in fact, to procure records on what people rented from a video store in America. Now, that's not a problem anymore, right? Because we don't have blockbusters. But (laughs) what happened was, once upon a time, some senator or congressman got, uh, you know, Playboy or Penthouse or something, published the records that he was renting a bunch of pornos from his local video store. And so they very quickly passed a law that said, no, nobody's video (laughs) store rental record can be public. But 
never mind that it came out of, you know, some silly scandalous stuff. That's a good thing. That's a great idea that that would be private information. It's a wonderful thing that you can't go and find exactly what I'm borrowing from the public library. It's none of your damn business, the information that I'm taking in like that. I agree with you that audio currently, in most cases, allows that privacy as well. But you and I both know the big publishers are using so many tracking features, Mm. images in the show notes with a bug that populates. So once that loads in your app and good, good uh, podcast apps, by the way, like overcast, for instance, doesn't load external images by default specifically to avoid this. And I think even when they do, they do it through like a proxy server or something to obfuscate the location data and, and the tracking that comes through that. But the, the big publishers are doing this already, even in the audio space. So I, you make a good point. You're right. And I think we have to lean back a little bit into the direction of what you said first, which is podcasting is punk rock. And so what may happen is the yous and the me's of the world, right? Yeah. The people who who just want to talk about their silly little vampire show <laughs> or who want to talk about the artful creation of online content. You want to have an in-depth conversation with other people who are making good stuff and thinking about the world in a creator's framework. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that just happens in audio and all of the... I started to say Gimlet, but Gimlet's fallen apart before our eyes. All of the iHeartRadios of the world. Which I think you called two years in advance. I think that was <laughs> yeah. kind of a premonition. The Spotify acquisition was never a good fit. I mean, I don't want to say I told you so. I lo- When Gimlet first launched, I thought it was one of the most exciting things of my entire life. The only thing, honestly, that registered as high for me was the launch of, of Relay.fm. I don't know if you listened to any of those guys. I, I have but, since you talked about them multiple times. Okay. Yeah. I've, so so yeah. Mike, Mike Hurley in the UK and uh, Stephen Hackett in uh, Memphis, Tennessee in the US, they started this network years ago and were so much of an inspiration for me. Mike Hurley tells the story. He worked at a bank. He had just like a teller job at a bank or something. And he broke his shoelaces one morning. And he said, I'm going independent. I'm, n- I'm never buying shoelaces again. Like that was the thing. And it, we, like he was headed in that direction. It was like, is it six months out? Is it a year out? Whatever. But he pulled the trigger one morning hmm. because he broke his shoelaces. And he said, I'm going to stick some random ones in there. And I'm, never, I'm not going to replace these. I'm not going to replace these shoes. I'm not going to replace these shoelaces. I'm going to live a different life. That was so... It was so impactful to me, and I very quickly followed on his footsteps and and started my own independent business. So that was a bigger moment for me. But Gimlet was huge for the industry, I feel like, and it seemed like, boy, what a path toward this golden age of audio, creator-owned and creator-led and and like unlike people like Maximum Fun who were already doing it, Jesse Thorne had had Maximum Fun for years before that. But Jesse Thorne's a goofball, right? And Maximum Fun's a comedy group. And so that doesn't seem real, right? Like, of course, of course, a bunch of comedians can get together and make a thing kind of work, artsy fartsy, whatever. But like Gimlet was real. Gimlet was real money and the real people from real radio who are really going to go do this podcasting thing. And then when Spotify bought them, it was so clear to me that it was a play for the brand and the name and not 
like a partnership. This was not going to be the interesting comparison, though, I think, is the Ringer Network with Bill Simmons because they have not seemingly been been eaten alive by the Spotify purchase. No, I think they've blossomed. I don't know why that is. I mean, maybe they're maybe it comes down to the Ringer is largely about commentary as opposed Mm. to like that long form narrative editorialized. Yes. I mean, like even the things that from Gimlet that are commentary are the NPR. It's not even NPR. It's like above that. Even it's like, what if HBO did audio or something? And, yeah. and the ringer is more down to earth than that. You can make a lot of those ringer shows quick and dirty and you yeah. can't make the Gimlet shows any of them quick and dirty. No. It's funny you bring up the ringing. Cause I think it's probably the least talked about, but possibly most important acquisition that's ever happened in this space and one thing is the risk to reward of making a gimlet series if it doesn't fully hit 100 percent and take off is so high versus if bill simmons or any of his shows have a down week mostly it's probably cycling along with the popularity of the sport at any particular time they're talking about there's so little risk in him having one bad show when across the board he in and of himself is a personality, but it, it's not going to sink Spotify's investment in them if the, a series or a couple of episodes die. Whereas with Gimlet, that might be half the series that they've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and months of work on. So think about video. Think about video streamers. You've got a couple of different ways to play it. You've got groups uh, and streaming services like Hulu or. Um, What's a better a better example would be one of the free ones. Even somebody like like um, here we have uh, Freevee and there's one called Tubi, I think, or yeah, something Tubi's like that. Familiar so, to us. Yep. So so those those companies, the free streaming services, are largely owned by some of the bigger media companies. Like I think Tubi may even be owned by Amazon as well. Amazon's got one. I can't remember what theirs is called. It used to be IMDb TV, but they changed it to something else. Anyway. The whole point of that service existing is to have a whole bunch of stuff. You just get a whole bunch of stuff and you put all that stuff on there and you put some ads against all of it and you just have it all there. And when people want to turn on TV and play Columbo, right, for the 19th time or um, like Law and Order, but that's on Peacock, but even Peacock. Okay, so Peacock. Universal, Comcast Universal, I should say. It's a giant media corporation as well. They've got their their streaming service here in the States called Peacock. Peacock is not primarily a play for the premium subscribers, the people who pay whatever it is, $10 a month or something. It's primarily a play for my mother who subscribed to Peacock for like $4.99 a month or $5.99 a month, something like that, with ads because she wants to watch NBC shows, right? She wants to watch Law & Order. She wants to watch... You know, whatever the sitcoms, Mm. I don't even know what they have on NBC right now. So you've got to play like that. That's really about advertising. And then you've got to play like Apple TV Plus, which is about prestige television and movies. They want to be in the awards conversation continuously. They want to build like long-term relationships with high quality talent, right? And and they want critics to praise their shows. They mm. also are going to charge a premium. In Apple's case, it's sort of a misnomer because they're selling it low. It's like $4.99 if you just get their TV streaming service. But what they really want for Apple is they want you to be in their whole Ecosystem. bundle, which is like yeah. $30 a month, right? So yeah, you're getting music and Apple uh, TV and news. And I, I mean, they did it to me. I, I wanted, I was already paying for iCloud Drive. I was already paying for 
music. I was already paying for Apple Arcade, I think, or so I was getting ready to pay for Apple Arcade. And then they're like, oh, or you can get all of them for, you know, $5 less a month than you were paying for three of them individually. So I get two or three extra services that I wouldn't have paid for elsewise. And for Apple, they're getting recurring revenue that continues to drive their stock price up, right? So two ways to play it. You got the premium play and you got the advertising driven play. Gimlet is a premium play. And yet Spotify's entire business model is advertising driven, even in podcasting. So they want you to be a, a subscriber, a Spotify subscriber, et cetera, et cetera. It's still an advertising play. Even, even there, they're going to shove ads in there at some point. And even the podcasts that they own specifically, okay, we can put podcasts directly in the content. And the whole thing was never going to fit. <laughs> what would have been good for Gimlet was not what was going to be good for Spotify. And I saw that and said it right from the very beginning. It, yep. it didn't make sense. It makes even less sense to me, honestly, for Joe Rogan. Uh, I understand why the deal was made, especially on Joe's side, because there was a massive check to cash, right? But I'm sure when that thing expires, he's going to go back to non-exclusive mm. because his audience has been smaller. He's not number one in Spotify's charts ever. Spotify can't promote him because it's controversial every time they do it and it loses them employees and it causes them problems with advertisers and yep. all the other things. Meanwhile, he's losing money. It's the, it's like Howard Stern. It, it blows my mind that Howard Stern still doesn't have a podcast, Josh. <laughs> I don't like Howard Stern really as a, as a content producer, but every time I think about it, it pisses me off because of the amount of money that he's losing yeah. by not just taking it all himself, developing a direct consumer relationship with his followers and fans and just taking all of the dollar instead of whatever. Even in his case, I'm sure it's a large percentage of the dollar, but it's still a percentage of the dollar, not the whole dollar. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That's right. Oh. And anyway, we did want to go back and talk about the end of always listening. And yes. I'll, we'll probably finish up with that. But the other thing I wanted to just say about the ringer, and I don't think this will be controversial, but I think we overestimate the importance of highly produced shows to the medium. And we underestimate just how big and how important a show like the Bill Simmons podcast and the ringer shows are to the medium. Honestly, because it's sport. We assume that his network is smaller. It might be smaller in valuation because you don't have the ability to make it into a movie or you don't have the ability to make it into a graphic novel or whatever. But I think when it came to pure downloads, as a total, he might not have been that far off something like Gimlet. If not, he might he may in fact have been bigger globally. You wouldn't know because people don't talk about sports shows as being important. Well, especially when you consider the fact that his you got to look at his broader staff too, right? Like he's building a lot of great editorial talent that can be on air and, and behind the scenes both. And not just talking about sport, they're a pop culture network yeah, too. They, they do yeah. after shows and all sorts of things. And they're also, you got to remember, they're kind of the parent company in some, I mean, they're not on paper, but they're, they're the spiritual parent company of Crooked Media. The, the guys who spun out and became Crooked Media all started as a Ringer podcast. That was that was 
ringer's take on politics, basically, mm. because because those three guys were very talented on the mic and had written some good stuff, I think, on on Bill's uh, websites. You know, that's Bill comes from the from the journalist world. You know, he was he was a sports editorial writer for years and years and years before he started commentating in podcasts. And then he had a very successful podcast with ESPN for a long time. They moved to HBO. That was you want to talk about a fumble in the media world. HBO not making Bill Simmons a hit. <laughs> on TV and in the podcasting world is just, that's the pits. The fact that they let the ringer network get away, basically that's, it's crazy in retrospect, but yeah, those guys are super under, I say guys, there's a lot of women obviously and, and, and involved in that industry too, but, or that organization, that is a fantastic organization. I love Bill Simmons personally. I like his content a lot. I, the one that I listen to all the time is called the rewatchables, which is their like movie podcast. Mm. But, uh, they do great work, and you're right. They're very undervalued. I think that is the best acquisition, uh, as far as content goes, yes. that Springer that that uh, Spotify made in the last several years. They made honestly. I think the Anchor acquisition was probably the actual best acquisition they made. If you look at all of their deals, mm. that Anchor deal, first of all, it just gave them like an automatic directory of podcasts, right? Because they're a media host now, they can take all, they can ingest all of those shows right away with a change to the terms and and conditions, which they did that. So that gave them a leg up to start with, but also now they continue. My son was telling me the other day, I didn't know this. The anchor app will let you do video podcasting now, apparently, or at least it's in beta in some places. Mm. And you can dump that directly into Spotify. That's that's obviously a play against YouTube. We talked earlier about the importance of video moving forward. Like, no one else has been able to challenge YouTube at all on video content delivery. If Spotify can do it, that is an amazing new revenue source for them as far as advertising goes. And not to mention premium subscriptions. I think those will go up too if there's a lot of video content there that you know you can get some exclusive stuff and some you take the ads out of it because you subscribe. Anyway, yeah. that's <laughs> Spotify, the anchor subscription, or the, excuse me, the anchor acquisition and the the ringer acquisition. I think those are the two that matter. And the rest of them, I think were more about headlines and, and brand recognition. And, um, you yes. know, I wonder now, like, where does Gimlet go from here? Like that, I think that brand name's basically just tarnished and gone. Correct. Do those creatives go and do this again under a different heading? Well, I hope they do because they bought all of the production value of a traditional radio documentary style production, but they had an energy. And as an Australian, it would probably call it a lot of those shows had put you to sleep energy. And Gimlet didn't have that. They had a certain spark. You could tell they were truly fascinated by these stories and they had a pace that some of those NPR styled shows just don't have. The one thing I wonder is like, Part of that comes from VC money, right? You just have a massive amount of VC money to fund the organization as they were launching. And so you could hire great talent and pay them well and keep them all highly motivated. It's obviously going to have to be on a reduced scale, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think, you know, Bloomberg's stated point, his stated purpose was to make like a dent in the audio industry and to change you know, storytelling and podcasting. I think he did those two things. Absolutely. So like, Without doubt. and also now one would assume he's made a boatload of money too. So <laughs> that, I mean, personally, I'm true. sure he's got a big pile. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good on him as yeah. they say. Yes, correct. Um, let's, 
let's do talk for a minute about the dissolution of always listing. I've never said anything publicly okay. about it really well, at I all. I appreciate it you choosing to me. here to do it. So. Well, it's for, it's two things at once. I had not really considered that I, that I shut it all down without a whole lot of thought until I would say like the last six months I've been thinking about that. Boy, you just kind of did a thing. You just like pulled the parachute and I did it like fairly finally. Not only did we stop recording the show, I deleted all of the, the show doesn't exist anymore. You can't find it in any podcast apps and everything. I deleted the files and, and dumped, I have the files, I think on a computer it exists and in Spotify hard drive and stuff. because I recently, listened Oh, does to it still it. exist in Spotify? There you go. Yeah. So, some, so somebody else told me that I wonder where they're pulling their files from uh, because Spotify used to ingest it. Now that they used to ingest correct. it. That's so what it if is. Your show so those are mid 2020, they switched to the RSS feed thing. But before that they were doing what Stitcher does and they ingest all the files. So that's fascinating. Yeah. So you should be able to listen to even the um, the Tyler maybe the Tyler Mahan Co episode there on Spotify too. I don't know. That's one of the previous seasons. Anyway, here's what happened. COVID happened. COVID started. It was the week before the NBA shut down. So this would have been like the first week of March. And Jay Soderberg and I did our regular recording. And we both made jokes about it. It was happening at that point. We were both like, oh, I wonder if X or Y or Z is going to happen or how this is going to shift, whatever we were talking about. As soon as I got off the air, I thought, you actually are concerned about COVID. You shouldn't have joked about it. So the next week, everything shuts down. We recorded an episode that week too. And I didn't make any jokes about it. Jay made a joke about it though. And it wasn't like, I didn't get mad at Jay. I didn't be like, I, it, was, it wasn't a situation where I like, I don't want to talk to him anymore. I don't want to give him a platform. It, it, Jay's not a conspiracy theory guy. We're not, not friendly anymore. That's not what happened. But somewhere in the, like literally in the recording of that episode, the week of March 15th, sitting there talking to Jay, I just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. I don't, I don't want to be talking about this. Sorry, and by this, Joel, you mean the podcasting space? The podcast yeah. industry, the yeah. podcasting space specifically. Like, I, I can't remember what the top, what the news topic was that week, but it just seems so banal. It yeah. seems so like, like, like a lot of people have died. Like a lot of people will, like a whole lot of people will die. We didn't know how bad it would be or how long it would be, but the just not just COVID, but the world in general had kind of fallen apart the several years before that. American politics had been a, a crapshoot. It's been a bad situation for several years before that. And I had been very caught up in in all of those things. Like my family was young and growing. I, it was just this, the whole stew of everything that was going on in my life. I just thought, I don't want to do this anymore. And I, and I never really talked to Jay about it. I just, I did, I think I maybe even straight up blamed it on COVID and said, hey, it feels weird to be talking about this when like bigger things are going on, you know, like let's, let's just maybe take a hiatus. And then I went, I came back several months later and I was like, or several weeks later and, and then was final with it. And I was like, hey, actually I'm not, yeah, I don't want to do it anymore. I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to shut it down. And it was my show. Like I'd done it before Jay. So he didn't give me any pushback or can I do it with somebody else or anything like that? He did ask me. At some point, you know, what I, do you mind if I have a similar conversation with somebody else on a weekly basis? I was like, no, no, please, please go and go and do another show if you want to do it. Just one for me. And I kept thinking, you know, maybe you'd come on and do a final episode or something. But for some reason, the fact that I wasn't going to do it anymore, and yet all of those episodes were out there, 
in all of the places. That felt wrong too. It felt like it was unfinished or, I don't know, left hanging. Yeah. And so I I just took it all down one day. And I think I tweeted about it maybe, but I didn't, I, I, there wasn't an announcement. I didn't send out a PSA or anything. I didn't even, I didn't make a stink at all. I just, they were just gone one day. And it all comes back to that thing that we talked about, which is I just, my give a damn's busted. I don't, I don't do things that I don't want to do anymore. It's either hell yeah or no. And suddenly it was no for always listening. I just didn't want to do it. Mm. I'm still passionate about the podcast industry. I mean, that's what I was telling you earlier. And obviously I'm passionate about it. I'm doing one weekly now. And I still believe absolutely in the power of this medium for, for businesses and individuals and hobbyists and everybody in between. There's, there's no point in history that the average person can, with the tools that they already own, make their voice and opinion heard throughout the entire globe, except right now. And I mean, we just mentioned Anchor a minute ago. You, Anchor's free. I don't love them, but you can set up an account with them absolutely free. Mm-hmm. You can use your smartphone, whether that's Android, you know, the cheapest Android off the wall will work. You download the Anchor app and there you go. What is it? 99.999% of the human population has a smartphone now or whatever. If you look at the numbers, like, I mean, there's billions of those uh, as there are people on, on the earth. And so basically every human adult has the capability to share their experience mm. with the entire globe. Now, we're not all going to get an audience. Nobody's guaranteed one. Nobody's promised one. <laughs> and even if you're really good at this, your your audience is not going to be huge. Every time that I share those statistics that Elsie Escobar does uh, or, or that, that Rob Walsh does on the Libsyn, the feed podcast every month, you know, they do the yeah, the if you're above, the yeah. yeah, if you're above 1500 downloads, you're better than 80% of the industry or whatever. Every time I share those statistics with a client or, a, or a would be client, they're shocked, right? Because the numbers are so small to be a show that matters. Mm. It's because we're punk rock. You said it so well, Josh. Yeah. We're we're a niche medium. We're always going to be a niche medium. The niche gets bigger as we go, right? The whole industry continues to grow as more and more people are exposed to this as an option. We will find those people that vibe with us. We will find those people that, you know, agree with our outlook on the world and that want to hear from us. But the first thing you got to do is get to recording and you could do it with your smartphone. So I'm literally, you can't, this isn't a video show. Josh, I feel like such an idiot. I'm holding my Shure MV7 by its little mounted handle. So in my new, we moved, we moved a year ago, uh, just over a year ago to the, to a new home. And when we moved to this house, I was not recording, always listening. I wasn't recording any other weekly show. I'm not doing a whole lot of voice work currently for any of my clients. I'm just doing editing mostly in project management and stuff. And so I've never set up my microphone here. I've been doing this Anne Rice show weekly now for five weeks in a row, six weeks in a row. And every week I, I it gets to Sunday and I'm like, damn it, I didn't mount my mic again. <laughs> and you and I, I, to this morning, I thought, I still haven't mounted my mic. I got to talk to Josh tonight. But one of my real estate buddies, Neil Dingra, who is on Instagram as Neil Home. If you're interested in making good TikTok videos or good like Instagram reels, even if you're not interested in the mortgage or real estate space, go follow at Neil Holm. He does great stuff. I stole this from him. He's in hotels all the time. Yeah. And he he bought himself this Shure MV7, which is a great USB yeah, powered microphone. Awesome. Yeah. 
it were yeah it, it sounds fantastic it sounds just like the uh the s7b it's just smaller and usb powered yeah it even works for me i'm an ipad guy it, you can plug it directly into the ipad with the usb c cable and it powers up there and, and you can record into it there but what i found was and and he he's the one that showed me this you plug it straight into your iphone and shoot your instagram videos oh wow you know just do it just do it like this you don't need to mount the thing and you've got this amazing video, you know, this amazing microphone that you sound really great on. He doesn't, when he's making his little reels, he doesn't even put on headphones. Obviously, I need something to hear you on, Josh. But my point is, you can level up to really good audio, even for a very affordable price. I said this was like two fifty, I think, when it was new. I think I think now they're on sale for like one ninety nine, one seventy nine, oh, something. Wow. I saw them pretty cheap. <laughs> anyway, two hundred bucks, you can get a very nice microphone. Even without a very nice microphone, though, even without a microphone at all, your smartphone records great audio, honestly, compared to what we were capable of doing 10, 15 years ago with even pretty nice tools. Your, your smartphone is going to do a great job. And it's better, I think, to start and put your voice out there, begin establishing what your style is, what your interests are, and who your audience might be. And then you can always level up the tech we get hung up on the tech in the beginning and so we never get to the place where we're creating good content because, well, I can't afford a good mic or I can't buy that Rodecaster Pro. Can you have an interview though? Can you schedule a call with somebody that you'd be interested in and, and can you hold a good conversation for an hour and change or, or not? Because if not, don't bother buying the mic, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> or try to do a 10-minute podcast and pour every ounce of energy into 10 minutes instead of 70 well, potentially. Hey, <laughs> There's nothing wrong with scripting. I tell people that I tell people that all the time. Script monologues, man. Write a five-minute monologue. Even people who are bad at public presentation or who don't feel comfortable on the mic, like you have to speak at some point, right? You have to do a yearly review at your job or you know, you have to go in and talk to the PTA meeting about your, you know, your, 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 uh, your child's poor grades or whatever it is. So, you know, think of those things and like, how do you, pre how do you prepare yourself for a presentation? What is it that you're passionate about? That's the other key. I think people are so focused on like, well, what do people want to hear that mm. they forget first to focus on what they're passionate about? And so everybody ends up dry by the numbers. We're all talking about achievements yep. instead of passion. I think if we all focused more on passion, all of our content will improve inherently. That's a perfect way to finish up. Joel Sharpton, thank you so much, mate, for being on the show. And it's conversations, once again, like this that re-energize why I continue to do this particular show when some people, and including myself, would say it's probably a distraction from other things that I could be doing that are more important. But yeah, I get energy out of talking about podcasting with someone who cares as much about it as I do. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and the platform. And, and you know, time spent talking about our passions is never time wasted. It's always, it's always time well invested. Listen, life is short for all of us and uh, we only get one spin around the, the, the sun. So like grab the things in life that you are a hell yes for yeah. and try to remove as many. I mean, obviously li listen, we all have to be realistic. The bills have to get paid. Everybody's got to get fed, et cetera, et cetera. And that's all hard enough. So do the things that you must do. But look hard at the things in your life that you don't have to do that you're doing for someone else and say, I'm not a hell yeah, so I'm a, I'm a no on that. And that'll <laughs> give you room for these, for these passion projects. Find the passion in your life and pursue it.
Yeah, it's absolutely. Josh, thank you for continuing to pursue your passion, sir. It worked out well for me today. Thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure. And it's always that moment. I always say this at the end. There's nothing better than hearing someone's work except for discovering they're a real living, breathing human. And Mm. that's what we've managed to do today, which I, I love that part. Thank you for that, Josh. I appreciate it. Righto. See you, mate.